Welcome to Speaking of Strong Star, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Stephen Conway. Grateful to be back with me, of course, Jeremy Finestone. And a big thanks, by the way, to Paul Fontaine. Thank you very much, sir, for filling in for me last week while I was away on vacation. But I have returned. And uh, we had a heck of a good Battle in the Valley show that you, Jeremy Finestone, personally attended. Uh, How are you feeling after watching what turned out to be a great night of wrestling? I had so much fun. I was very, very tired the next day. I didn't show that <laughs> night uh, with uh, Garrett Gonzalez on his mm-hmm. Double G show. I then jumped on the Power Bomb shows the next morning and talked a little bit about the show uh, there. And then I saved a lot of it for this show because, you know, this is our kind of our meat and potatoes kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, got a bunch of stories from the weekend and uh, really just ready to unpack it all because we got a lot of stuff moving forward based off of what we've already seen come, come and go. After finishing up Wrestle Kingdom, of course, the New Year's Dash, this show here feels a little bit more like we're getting the momentum moving again after so this if Wrestle Kingdom is a season finale, uh, this is the season premiere. And we're starting to get into setting up the storylines we're going to see. And there's a lot to be excited about. And Colin's here. Colin, good to see you uh, again here. Uh, you missed the last couple that I was on, so I'm there. And uh, yeah, Vankin's all excited. We already know we're getting a big main event in Chicago. So much to talk about. We're going to get into Valley of the Battle in the Valley, break all that down. Jeremy's got a lot to tell us about that show. We're going to be talking about the New Beginning Tour, which is starting up Saturday. We have New Beginning in Nagoya. Some big matches that are sprinkled out rather than have one major supercard in here. We have some really interesting matches that are spread out throughout this tour. Fantastic Mania is coming. And if we have a little time, we're going to finally get to talk about Killer Con a little bit because he just kind of got lost in the shuffle there as uh, with his passing uh, with Wrestle Kingdom. So Jeremy, just overall big crowd on hand and it's, it's something we're going to discuss when it comes to Chicago. They announced the main event, Will Ospreay versus Kazuchika Okada. They announced a couple of other matches uh, beforehand and it worked, you know, got a, a good crowd there in San Jose at the civic center. And, do you need to tell us a little bit about the atmosphere going into the building? I know the merchandise line was unworldly. <laughs> Do you want to know about the atmosphere of the show? See it. Yeah, I got I got atmosphere for you. So what do we got here? This is the merch line from the San oh. Jose Civic. Oh my goodness. Does that is that a U that's curling that around? That is one line wrapped around the entire side of the building. It's a it's the bottom floor of the two-story building. Completely wrapped around. I'm like, oh, I'll just take a picture of this and then uh, oh. and do that. So, in San Jose, the Civic is right across from the San Jose Convention Center. And this mm. weekend at the San Jose Convention Center was FurCon. Yes. <laughs> further used. Which I never knew was what further FurCon meant. And uh, I found that out when I walked past the display. And I was like, oh, this is going to be adventure. This is going to be an adventure this weekend. And so it actually kind of filled into the show as Walker Stewart revealed later on. If you're ready for this, okay, I'm, I'm going to read this out loud. For, I'll read this out loud for the podcast, folks. This is a tweet from uh, an ex, excuse me, whatever they call him now, from Walker Stewart. There was a furry convention next to the San Jose Civic yesterday. El Fantasmo and Hikaleo wanted some of the furries to accompany them for their entrance. They all said no. It's funny you'd think they'd been interested in doing so with the way that ELP and Hikaleo got that dog in them. Uh, yeah, it, I imagine they were probably worried they were going to be made fun of, but uh, uh, nevertheless, an opportunity you, missed. Have you ever encountered furries in real life, or like know anyone who uh, is is in that uh, likes to be a furry, 
or yes. identify as a furry? Yes, I have. I have. Uh, you don't fuck with them. <laughs> you do not. They will. They they will not put up with your shit. And uh, like they're probably lucky that if probably could pick away was seven feet tall that they <laughs> get to a fight with them about them. But uh, the furries just want to be left alone. And uh, yeah, I, I ran into a couple. I said hello. I got out of their way, and they just kept walking right past me. Yeah, like, you know, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's its own subgenre for sure. But uh, there you have it. It was a great story. I was like, I walked past the building, I'm like, oh, there's gonna be an, there's gonna be something to this. I bet. And then I was like, no, not much. And then I saw the tweet. I'm like, there it is. <laughs> Flaming Shark is here. Uh, he said, uh, he, by the way, he he said he enjoyed Battle in the Valley in person a lot. So you were both there. And uh, really hyped for the New Beginning Tour. He also says, you never buy merch at a wrestling show. He said, my only exception was waiting for a Rampage taping as part of a Dynamite to get a Jay White cardboard cutout. Yeah, the lines are usually pretty nasty. And when I would... I saw go, the merch line. It wasn't like, I saw the merch that they offered. I was like, eh. I saw an email blast that came out the same day. I was like, I'd rather buy all that stuff that was online rather than what they were selling at the show. Now, when I was a little kid, you they had the mail order, the WWF catalog. WWF. When I grew up, WWF was the only company that came to town. So that was what I, that was the live wrestling I got to see. And uh, that was in the mid 80s. And you would have to go to the line uh, in order to get your stuff, or you would have to mail in a check and your order that you would get out of WWF magazine and wait six to eight weeks. By that time, somebody might have turned heel by that. You know, you're not even sure you could wear that shirt after that long. So I went to you, a you would wait raw taping, a WWE raw taping, uh, maybe two or three years ago. Maybe two, two or one or two. Yeah. And it was Bloodline were there. And they had a pilot program they were doing where you could go to a website that was only usable inside the arena, buy oh. the stuff there, and then go to a kiosk where they had your bag ready for what you purchased without ever sitting in a merch line. Nice. And I was like, damn, that's great. And then I looked forward to the last time I went to Raw, and like, they didn't have that. I'm like, oh, technology was so good. We can't have nice things. <laughs> Flaming Shark says, I saw a bunch of furries when I was coming in, interacted with a few. Funny how New Japan had a sold-out show, but they were definitely number two in San Jose that night. Yes, they were. It was, so it was were. a big turnout for the furries as well as uh, New Japan. In the huh? San Jose Convention Center, that's where the WrestleMania access was when San Jose was... Uh, oh, doing yeah. the WrestleMania, so it's just a huge, huge plaza in the middle of downtown San Jose, and I live a couple blocks away from there. I didn't realize there was a convention. I'm like, I'm far enough away that conventions don't bother me, but at the same time, like, I'm in walking distance of it. If that makes any sense, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. So. Interesting, interesting evening before we even get to the matches. So, uh... but uh, I actually I got to spend some time with Walker Stewart before uh, before the show. Friend of the uh, show. Managed to finagle him and Dave Meltzer and Garrett for dinner. I got to meet, we all got to talk and he's just a really smart, bright guy. And I just wanted to throw that in there because there's going to be a couple of uh, anecdotes I wanted to throw in there. I don't want to start that story. I'd like just kind of throw that in there. He was really great on Friday and uh, it was a pleasure to meet him. Well, that's very cool. And I, I did like, uh, the show was terrific. It, there was good wrestling up and down. I also like, the way they are beginning to present these United States shows in that they are beginning to lead to the next one. You know, they aren't just self-contained units. A lot of things happen on this show that is going to 
means something going forward. And that could be in Japan, but a lot of it is for the next show in the United States is Windy City Riot in Chicago in April. What I like about that is a problem that New Japan has run into in the United States is the way they book their matches, they keep it very, very kayfabe. Until a match happens, they don't really announce the next one. The issue is fans in the United States want to know who they're going to see and, uh, and against whom. And they've tried to do things like these people will appear. They did that in Texas. And I went to that show. It was a good show. But it didn't draw that well. It was just it was barely a thousand people in that building right there. And Las Vegas did trust that you're get them and get the tag instead of like a prioritized main event match. This time they told us what the main event was. They sold tickets and they seem to have learned that these markets are different. You can do this in Japan. It's kind of understood when you're a wrestling fan that that's how it's going to be. But this time we know several of the matches, the two that are officially announced, others that have been so strongly hinted, I'd be shocked if they didn't happen for Chicago, meaning there is some continuity here instead of here's this little event. You get to see all the guys then they go back to Japan and maybe you see them again. Now there's a little bit of continuity to these shows uh, that I think is going to help. And we've seen results, strong ticket sales coming up for this Chicago Windy City Riot show. So imagine that, Jeremy, put on a good show, tell people you're going to see good matches next time they show up. Go figure. Do you think that Windy City will lead into Forbidden Door more than any of the New Japan shows in Japan. Yeah, I think that I think this might be a sign of success. I mean, I think they yeah. might do that, and I think they they might do more than just just the Forbidden Door too. I mean, there could be another NJPW Strong, you know, because they they want. I'm thinking four big show. events in like just concentrate on four big events all around like the continental United States, uh, like West Coast, Midwest, uh, like New York and like the South, like big shows, like yeah. advertise from piggyback from one show to the next kind of thing. And then, you know, when it comes around to next January and hopefully they come back to San Jose or something like that, you know, there's just this, there's a bigger sense of anticipation because you have been conditioned to know that they are setting stuff long-term even when they're stateside. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm hoping so. I would like the idea that they visit different parts of the country, mostly because I live in this, you know, Texas and I would like to see more of that. I can't really say a whole lot because I, you know, fans didn't show up really in Garland all that much. There's only about a thousand people there, but uh, again, maybe this new, uh, this new approach will, will help. Uh, let's I'm see. very uh, excited for Windy City Riot based off of, um, based off of what we saw. Real quick, we look like we have a bunch of comments. We so uh, I'm going to do the whole spiel about likes and subscribes. If you like yes. our show, if you like the Fight Game Media platform, we have a new fightgamemedia.com that you can go check out where all of our audio and video is posted. In addition to that, if you like what you see, click share, subscribe, heart, emojis, all the things, <laughs> comments. We appreciate it all. Uh, thank you for the continued support. And uh, I'm going to pass it back on to Stephen for more conversation. Yeah, and for the podcast, folks, please uh, rate us, leave us a review. It helps people find the show. Thank so you. let's get some of these comments here. Uh, Colin mentions that I heard there was still trouble with the audio during the show. Is that right? I'll tell you what, Colin, I was still on a cruise ship when this show happened, so I watched it Sunday, but I only had the Japanese feed on NJPW World to deal with. I didn't have the uh, English one. 
NJPW World's Japanese feed was done from Japan remotely. The, the announcers were not in San Jose. What that meant was it was a very muffled crowd sound. And I, I'm not totally sure what the reactions in the building always were. Uh, I got the commentary from the main announcer and I believe El Desperado. They never show them, you know, when they're doing it remotely like that. So I think it was Desperado on it, uh, which was enjoyable in some parts because during parts of the Moxley match, he was just laughing through it, like cackling. Uh, there were other things they were laughing through. I, I'm trying to remember what they, uh, there were, there were a couple of times when something would just happen and they just cracked up. And, and and it wasn't meant to be comedy. It wasn't. They weren't trying to be funny in the show right there. But there there yeah, were a few yeah. things on there that they just found uh, to be hilarious. But uh, so that I did get the English I commentary. I watched about seventy percent of it because I watched it live. But I realized neither of us had the English commentary. I'm like, well, I should probably jump into this. And I got uh, I got about seventy percent of the show and uh, same audio issues that hit every New Japan broadcast. In the same yeah, side, some of it is tinny, some of the lighting is a little wacky, some of the angles are weird. Uh, mm. still competent for the most part. There wasn't like a 30 minute delay like there was in the San Jose show last year, but uh, it's not what was advertised, um, it's not what was advertised as the progressive New Japan world upgrades that we thought we were gonna get. Let's get into that real quick, because Colin mentions this. Can we also discuss why they don't do full show videos anymore on the updated NJ site? Watching Wrestle Kingdom was a nightmare. Seriously thinking about unsubbing. Well, I hate to hear that. I, when I watch them, if I watch the first match, yes, they are all in individual videos, but mine will then move to the second match automatically. I don't have to back out and choose the second match. Like When that first match video ticks down to three, two, one. I get a circle for like a second or two, and then the next video comes up. Sometimes I don't even realize that it's transitioned to the next match. So, no, there isn't one that's just the, the full event video. But for me, it's still, I mean, if you're watching live, it's like that because they haven't divided it up yet. But watching archive stuff, it does flow, I think, fairly well, but maybe it doesn't for Colin. I don't know. Have you had any trouble with that, Jeremy, as far as seeing one match move to the next match on World, the new world? If you if you end up watching a show at any point out of order, it can play chaos. I've no. also noticed that the New Japan world, if you're not on an Apple native device, is not ideal. So I have switched to Apple native devices. Otherwise, like backing out of shows, the Apple freeze, and there have been updates for the app already. Um, I just run the show usually all the way through and then fast forward to the end of the segment if I need to. And there's no gaps missing in the show. It literally just like they put a stop, pause, and you're in. It's right back to the show. The only real frustration I have is not knowing the exact length time of a show when I start in on it because they're not mm. telling me anywhere. And mm. uh, you kind of have to figure that part out. But and let, I, I have had minimal issues because of being on Apple devices. But mm. I've seen the problems outside on a Fire Stick and a Roku, and I'm not into it at all. 
Yeah, and it's been frustrating. It's been a difficult rollout. It, the the uh, as what does he refer to him as mice in the machinery? Well, those, those mice have set up shop pretty good right there, and there have been some real uh, problems. So uh, I can only hope that their techs are working on it. They those I, I certainly don't know how to fix it. That's not my uh, area of expertise, but uh, hopefully they're able to get some things done right there. Uh, let's look at some other comments. Flaming Shark still uh, the strong shows are pretty much fully canon now, not just semi canon like they were for a while. That's a fair point. Uh, a lot of the stuff you could skip NJPW strong and it really mm -hmm. wouldn't affect what you were seeing in Japan. It's not true anymore. And I think that helps, too. I agree. And uh, he said, yeah, uh, just straight giving two huge matches for Chicago was smart. Yeah. I mean, tell the people what they're going to see. Yeah, absolutely. Venkin says, I like that they have CMLL and AEW mm -hmm. people on these. And boy, they added a lot to this show. And uh, he also mentions Chicago's going to love Jack Perry. <laughs> I think everybody's going to love Jack Perry. He's going to, I think he's going to be a pretty effective heel here. We'll see. Stupid punk kid. Uh, yeah, I know it. And I tell you, he also says, has anyone heard these forbidden punk door rumors? Kid. <laughs> We'll see. Uh, Flaming Shark says, uh, as far as locations for these shows, California, Chicago, New York, and maybe Florida. And then we'll he was nice enough, nice enough to throw in, or Texas for Steven. Thank you, Shark. I appreciate that. I love uh, not have to go to Or my buddy Garrett and uh, mutual friend, Andrew Therian. I would, I would call him a friend. I've met him a few times. Hmm. Uh, they discussed Forbidden Door. And Therian... Did not outright say, but he suggested it would be very easy for him to attend that show. And so if it was going to be very easy for him to attend the show, I would assume it is somewhere in the uh, New York area. Okay. Nothing yeah. guaranteed, but that was a conversation had elsewhere. A lot of buildings in the New York area you could go to. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there are a lot of choices, both yes. in New Jersey too, if you're just talking New York Metro. So do you think they do it at Arthur Ashe? Eh, it depends on the time of year. I mean, Arthur Ashe is a possibility. There are a lot of big buildings there. Yeah. I mean, you can go a lot of places. And they, there's several NHL, NBA arenas that you could go to, any one of which would be good. Madison Square Garden is always a possibility, but it's also always really expensive. It's yeah. more expensive than any other arena because of the union rules in Manhattan for the, for the workers and the employees. Uh, so it becomes uh, very expensive to run. Uh, Madison Square Garden. WWE sucks it up and does it around the holidays and other times just because they're WWE and it's their spiritual home, so to speak, in the, in the same way that uh, Sumo Hall is for New Japan. But, uh, you know, the other companies have done it, have have done it. Obviously, New Japan did it uh, along with Ring of Honor. So, 2018, but there's also there. There's Barclays. There's the Nassau Coliseum. There's a lot of places up there. So, uh, I'm going to say it's the AEW event at Arthur Ashe this year. I think they're going to go big because Forbidden okay. Door always gets people there. That'd be good. Uh, Shark says, I'd still prefer if they gave us individual matches in a single file Yes, on World, but I haven't had issues with it, but I just watch on the website of my computer. I would usually. agree 100% that if they could just say, do you prefer to watch it all the way through? They give you the speed. They give you the version, whether you want to watch English or Japanese. If you want to have like one full run through like version of the thing, I would love that as a workaround yeah. in the future. So it's a, it's a fair criticism, Colin. I'm sorry you're having so much trouble with it. Really, I know, I know how much you want to watch and how much you love the the product. It's it has been frustrating, hasn't it? Because the archives are coming through slowly and slower than I'd like as somebody who likes to go back and watch old stuff. So, Jeremy, should we start breaking down this battle in the valley show? Do it. Twenty minutes in, that's not too bad. We, we there are a lot to talk about. We were bullshitting. There was fun stuff in there. <laughs> It began with two uh, 
quote unquote dark matches, although they were on the broadcast, so they're not really dark, but they were pre-show matches, so to speak. We had Matt Vandegrift and Goldie. These are a couple of people from the NJPW Academy. And uh, it's fine. A 450 spa- uh, splash finish, perfectly good match. Uh, Vandegrift, <laughs> the issue with Vandegrift is his hair, isn't it? I mean, he's got that kind of thinning hair. It looks like it's. It looks like he's losing it. It. it it's not the most... Uh, it's not the best pro wrestling look, although he has a good build and he's a capable wrestler. Uh, I, I think the, you know the look in there needs a little bit of work, but nothing wrong with this match. A couple of academy guys and Vandegrift has shown that he's probably the most advanced of the current yes. academy guys that we've seen. I looked at this image while it was on the screen, and I looked at the wrestler and the thing, like, and I was like, okay, and uh, it looks fine. The best thing I can say is it felt like I was something I would watch on an NFT breakout tournament. Um, okay. Just kind of a very simple elementary match. Near the end, uh, the amount of time it took for people to take a bump, sell the bump, make the next move, labor to the finish was half of a match in and of itself. And so uh, they definitely decompressed. Uh, several parts of this match to just get through the elementary parts. It was fine. Uh, I wasn't really impressed, but I wasn't supposed to be impressed. It was just kind of, you know, a pre-show match. This guy's getting reps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after that, we had Stephanie Vaquer, uh, who is uh, really coming along, really doing well in Mexico and has uh, shown up, of course, faced Maya Iwatani, has faced, uh, you know, various. I mean, she was against Mercedes in that match, right, in the tournament. Anyway, she's had some good stuff, and uh, she uh, defeated Viva Van in uh, nine minutes fifty-five seconds. Uh, the one part about this is I uh, Viva wasn't ready for this level yet, and and that and Vicar did what she could, but mm-hmm. what you saw with Viva is something that happens with everybody is that at the beginning of your career you're counting the steps, and you can see him counting the steps. All right, I got to be here, and then I'm going to do this, and and it's not flowing yet. Everything has a kind of all right. Now I am supposed to grab her arm. Now I'm supposed to take her to the ropes, and you can kind of see those step counting yeah, happen yeah. as the match, and all that stuff comes with time. Your favorite wrestler in the world did that early in their career. So I would like to see Viva Van if they do battle in the Valley next year in 2025 and have her in a match again and see how far she's come. Uh, the cat, it's the cover's not bare with her. She seems strong. She seems like she was perfectly capable. A little early for this thing. Uh, and uh, maybe next year uh, we could see somebody totally different. I hope so. I actually liked watching this match in the ring. I thought uh Becker was really crisp and it was meant to be a spotlight match for her in a lot of ways and there were a lot of um felt like there was a lot of CMLL-ness to the match uh oh, sure because Becker was leading ro- it, yeah 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 and uh but the the rope spider move that Viva Van did and uh the running knees with the attempts that uh Becker did uh, a number of times until she finally hit it and then once she did it was pretty much Lights out for Viva Van. It was like, told a simple story and I liked it. Uh, and I felt like, you know, if, if we're heating her up to, to take a title potentially from somebody else uh, on this card, definitely could have had a worse performance. She was great. She was fine. Uh, and Venkin mentions it. How, uh, people, how much chance do you think Vicar is beating uh, Julia? She's certainly one of the leading contenders. I, my personal preference would be for them to combine the title with Iwatani's. But we'll see what they do with it. Uh, Colin says, I'm not a big fan of Vicar beating Julia for the strong belt. She's already lost one chance to win it. Shouldn't be getting another one so soon. Uh, there just aren't a lot of choices right now as far yeah. as people stateside go. Either... Uh, and so it either has to be someone from stardom where they 
uh, do it that way, or they combine the belts, which is kind of my preference to narrow the the titles down because I don't think you need both. But they've uh, already does... listed Bakura as the next uh, contender for the title. Well, so sure, but she... keep in mind, Julia's not leaving. She's leaving Stardom, but she's not necessarily leaving for some place where you have to be right. exclusive for another year. They have all right. year to get that title off of her if they want to do something with it. Right now they do, but that doesn't mean that come March or April that suddenly the clock is ticking. And so my question is not whether... Okay, there's two, there's two things that I'm looking at here. First, is she the one to beat julia and take the title does it happen in chicago okay sure if it does yes then we already know where we're going if not you basically like you have to eat somebody else up which you haven't done you mm. could do the mayu iwatani thing which doesn't seem like they're particularly interested in doing anything with either so we shall see but if you don't you basically have to create a tournament and you've like you've dev you've removed the viability from back here if you have her lose and then like Julia basically vacates the title so it's it's not it's not that you want Vakira to win it's like you want to protect the promotion and you want to protect the wrestlers and you want to protect the lineage as much as like put it out there you got to do something with it I'm very curious to see what they do with the IWGP belt that Iwatani has just because I've always advocated that the strong belt can be the one that's in the States and the IWGP one should be the one that's defended once in a while on stardom, but mostly on the big new Japan. I know that hasn't happened, but I think there's also a reason that Taro Okada was put in uh, a director's position in both companies by Bushi road. And I think it's to build a better bridge between stardom and new Japan. My optimism is hoping that there is more, of a synergy between the two that wasn't there before when Mm -hmm. unpopular people were running each company, but all that's changed in the last few months. So I'm hoping we can see more of that. Tanahashi was very enthusiastic after historic crossover about the women there. Of course, he's going to say that, you know, and we still have that show. It's still going to happen this year. So there's some interesting things there that could be done. Uh, So if they wanted to keep, if they wanted to start doing that and having the stardom wrestlers, maybe show up a little bit more, which is what we were all hoping for. Uh, on New Japan shows, then they could do that with Iwatani's belt. And I, Iwatani's a bigger name over there. And then they could mm-hmm. do this uh, here, perhaps. Or like Dunstan Williams just says, merge the two belts. Exactly. That's kind of what I, uh, but yeah, let's see what we got here. Dunstan G says, just got off work. Well, I'm glad you joined us. Thank you for uh, thank you for making us part of your day. Stephanie should win and just be a new talent in stardom since they're losing talent as well. Well, that's a thought, isn't it? Uh, the next batch of foreign talent to join club Venus or whoever else in there is going to be really fascinating. Uh, I don't know if CMLL wants to give up a care because uh, she's uh, doing really well over there. We're also going to be seeing some CMLL women in fantastic mania for the first time that I'm aware of. Duncan says, I'm curious what uh, is main eventing the next historic crossover. I think we all are. Uh, and then uh, Colin is also up for merging the, I mean, I, <clears throat> I think most of the people on this show that watch it, listen to it and us, uh, the two of us that hosted are kind of in the, the ideas that the less is more when it comes to title belts, but we're just not at, not in that era of wrestling, are we? We're just we're just kind of stuck with it. So uh, I, I've made my peace with the idea that there are more belts than I want there to be. Uh, but so if they're going to do it, I just hope they do it in a way that differentiates the two titles. That's you got to have that action figure accessory, my man. <laughs> Let's go on to the first match of the main card. Uh, oh, okay. One more thing from Shark before we move on. 
of course, we all want the IWGP Women's Title to be, be the one New Japan belt, but whether they do that or not, who knows? Yeah, well, that's what we're saying. We're they don't. That... They don't care, so they're not going to. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure. Let, let's see what this new. Let's see what these new administrations do because there are new guys in charge, and there there is somebody that's in with both companies. So I, I really think we could be. I think we're going to be having the same conversation <laughs> in the fifth month that we're having right now with like the let's hold out hope that they have better plans for this. Once we get to historic X over, and they that's probably going to be the crux point is historic X over too when they do that to make any decision about what they're doing. If they wanted to do Mayu and Stephanie Vicker there, that probably makes a way more sense than doing it at a strong show stateside. So until we get to that point where like we're at historic X over, which feels like that big moment that IWGP comes together, I don't know, man. It's just, I feel like we're going to be running in circles on that one. Vicara's mentioned defending her title against Mayu in uh, Arena Mexico, too, by the way. That could happen. Yep. So, uh, which would also be very exciting. <clears throat> Moving on. We started with a six man tag that was a blast. Uh, so it was Shoto Amino, uh, No Days Off Red Roster, and Jacob Fatu, uh, who was probably the star of this show, uh, against Team Filthy, Tom Waller, Royce Isaacs, and Jarrell Nelson. Now, this one only went nine minutes, but there was a lot to it. Uh, there was a dissension whole thing with we know the team filthy is on the way to a, a ugly breakup, but there was this dissension with Lawler's team. They didn't want to tag him, mm -hmm. that type of thing. And then what we had was Jacob Fatu. The match was good. I mean, all these guys were good. Jacob Fatu, good lord. He, once he once he tagged in. <laughs> Now, he's from the area to begin with anyway, but everyone was kind of excited to see what this guy would do in a New Japan ring. Well, he tagged into a New Japan ring, and holy mackerel, he had a great rally. He had a tope suicida, a Fosbury flop, super kicks, strikes, all of it looked good. The Japanese commentary, that was the other one, Jeremy, I want to mention. The Japanese commentary were just laughing in amazement. Not la They were kind of laughing at the hardcore match later on, but they were laughing in amazement at Fatu. They were like, oh, my God. Uh, and, you know, he stood out in this one. He just has tremendous upside. I don't even want to say that Jacob Fatu has potential because I think he's already realized it. We know he's good. There's no doubt that, oh, maybe he's good. We know he's good. We're just excited to see him in New Japan ring. Uh, anyway, the match went on with uh, Umino ended up beating uh, Isaacs with a death rider. And uh, just tell us about what it was like in that building when Jacob Fatu started going nuts. So the first time I ever saw Jacob Fatu, was in 2018 in Daly City at All Pro Wrestling. And that guy was a beast back then. And he's got five years of seasoning, and he came in here. And if you've seen him at MLW, you know about Jacob Fatu. If you've been at All Pro Wrestling, you know about Jacob Fatu. Jacob Fatu is a scary, fast Samoan. He's in the uh, he's cousins with the uh, Usos and Roman Reigns, legit in real life. And uh, Yeah, but who isn't? Uh, well, <laughs> this is true, but you can see it. You can see it in the way the oh, guy moves. Oh, you know? certainly. Yeah, like, yeah, there yeah. Is, there's like, oh, oh, if you keep wrestling like this for the next year, you are going everywhere you want uh, uh, in, in, 20, in 2025. He was fantastic. There was a lot of groundwork laid uh, in this match, set up a couple of different angles and stories. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jacob Fatu in Windy City as well. Yeah, and and you know he was exciting to watch there, and uh, it's just something like he's just very very agile for his size, of course. Uh -huh. And you know the other thing about him is he's uh, 
but it's he's he's very agile for his size, and yet his strikes still look good. And that's not always you don't always get both. Is all I'm saying there. So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna see. Yeah, he's the no, he's the son of Sam Fatu and the brother of Journey Fatu. So there you go. Uh, there's just a ton of them. Of course, you know, he was arrested for robbery as an 18 year old, right there. So that, uh, is, that I, is the big, that's the big issue. Yeah, and that's why also he, why WWE has not gone after him. But if he yeah. becomes undeniable, uh, where people are like, "Hey, what's the deal?" Uh, they have. They will go after people if they can, if if it's a compelling enough reason. And I think he might break through. Yeah, Dunstan is the one that brought that up. That uh, I, I looked that up just now to make sure I got it correct. But yeah, it, it, that might be a, a tripping point there. But he would feed a family if he was in New Japan in a G1, according to Dunstan. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, Venkin says he was uh, a madman and has more impressive move set than his cousin. So a lot of uh, good feelings toward him. Venkin also you, mentions... You Go ahead. He Sorry. saw a Vikingo Jacob Fatu clip, and it was insanity. Good Lord, I bet it was. Um, um, and, at that ahead. show I went to, uh, 2018, Jacob Fatu was in the main event, and he beat John Morrison and J.R. Kratos, both names oh. that people would be familiar with through wrestling yeah. and Nutrient. Do you know who was in the opener of that show? You probably don't, but you're probably going to be surprised when, you, when I tell you this. Uh, well, okay, give me a date. 2018 in Daly City in the Bay Area. Oh, was it? Uh, you getting early Solo Sokoa in there? No, sir. It was a junior heavyweight title three way. Oh no! With Marcus Lewis and Jake Atlas challenging Jungle Boy. Oh, how about that? How about so that? So there's Bay Area connection to Jack Perry, and so when he showed up there, it's like, oh, they are really, they are really doing that. They had him return in the Bay Area to be a heel in Chicago. How about that? So there you go. Uh, and we've got uh, that bleeds into the next thing. Great. So uh, Waller tr uh, shook hands with Fred Rosser again. He did that also in Dallas. And uh, later on. Oh, they did more than that. They clapped each other in the face and then they shook hands. Well, yeah, they did the Suzuki Nagata thing, didn't they? And he yeah, said they yeah. liked to team with him. But uh, it seems like Team Filthy is either going to be disbanded or my guess is the West Coast Wrecking Crew will just turn on him and make the decision for him. But on this, Jeremy. Would Rosser and Lawler versus the West Coast Wrecking Crew, could that be the tag team feud that brings the strong tag team titles back to the U.S.? Meaning, could one of those teams beat Hikaleo and ELP for them at some point, and then they bring that feud back into the U.S., feuding with each other over those tag team titles? A little thought I had as I was kicking things around in my head. I think they're going to be separate for now. I think there's a compelling story between Rosser and Lawler for the rest of the year, potentially getting both of those teams to Japan for a run near the end of the year, especially yes, if there please. are a couple of uh, a couple of events up to that point that kind of build the tag team, uh, you know, capabilities of both teams going forward. They could have a series two two tag matches between two events going into World Tag League. And then they they both have a run. Doesn't have to be great, but you know the opportunities that they have, it's like Jorel Nelson and Royce Isaacs, you know Tom Lawler and uh, you know Fred Rosser. They're good wrestlers. They're great wrestlers, oh, yeah. and yeah. they and they were holding up New Japan strong on the stage when there weren't a whole lot of wrestlers to carry the banner. So mm. I think. I think things can look good for them if they are. This could be a good year for all four of them. 
It could be wishful thinking for me just because I want to see those matches. Yeah. I want to see that. I want to see that pairing. After that, so Shoto Amino, mind in his own damn business outside the ring. For right a there considerable was... amount of time. I was like, wow, yes. he's really out here for a while. <laughs> he had to, he had to wait. He had to wait. I'm not sure where Jack was, but uh, he was there in his, his mask, and maybe he figured out that now is finally the time. Uh, he uh, he was in he was wearing a mask as some people do at these uh, shows right there, but that uh, disguised him effectively. And he uh, clobbered Shoto Amino, and I don't even think that New Japan security knew that he was going to be doing that because they tried to pull him off him. Uh, he takes the mask off. It is Jungle Boy Jack Perry, uh, and he uh, took a a prop AEW contract. And I guess apparently AEW contracts are one page and one third of it is taken up with the giant AEW logo. So the back row can see it. Anyway, he tears that thing in half. So who, you know, he's trying to send that message and he puts the scapegoat armband on from when he was a dip in uh, London and got himself suspended. And then, so he uh, does this, I guess he is going to be feuding with Shota Umino a little bit, but Jeremy, I'll say this. I think this guy, is not great, but I think he could be an effective heel for Shota to beat eventually. It doesn't have to be the first match, but for a hurdle for Shota to get over uh, on the way by, and I think he could actually be effective in that role. So I, I'm, I'm when I saw this, it wasn't the same kind of thud that Trent Beretta had, but a little bit of me was just like Jack Perry. Okay. But, uh, you know, if he has a good match with Shoto Mino and puts him over in the end, I don't think I'll complain. much. I'm all for this, man. I am. I am so all in on this right now. This is the change of conversation that uh, Jack Perry needed because everything was all about CM Punk and all the things. And they are. Well, Tony left him twisting it. in the wind for about six months after that. He's been gone. They've tried to like <laughs> forget about it. You could have knocked me over with a goddamn feather when yeah. uh, no, AEW is trying to, to make. Garrett, I'm talking to Garrett yeah. and Jungle Rocka is, uh, is over there next to me, and we're just kind of bullshitting. And all of a sudden, this dude in a bushy mask jumps Shota, and the crowd's like, "What? Huh?" and we don't have the greatest vantage point from that corner of the ring. You know, like we're about four feet up off the ground, but there's enough crowd that's standing up on their feet and it's obscuring much of ringside. And uh, it's like, that's Jack Perry. Well, at first I thought it was uh, uh, Juke Robinson. When I saw it at first with the hair and the beard and like the jean jacket, I was like, why is Juke Robinson here? Like, because Fred Rosser and there were a whole, like, there was a thing. And then I, re- I realized it was, uh, it was Jack Perry. So I have a story about this. Okay. He got on the bus at the New Japan Hotel right when they were leaving. And he had the Bushi mask on. <laughs> and he got Jack Perry in the Bushi mask went all the way to the back of the bus, grabbed a blanket and laid down at the back. And the rest of the, uh, the rest of the bus was just like, that's not Bushy. But what, you know, it's like, you're one of those. Okay. And there were people that were, you know, like on a need to know that knew Mm -hmm. about 10 minutes before, like the thing happened. But, you know, it's like most people were not, informed of what was happening until it was like the thing went down and I think it I think it worked out incredibly well. Uh I think 
this was the opposite of, you know, like uh, Enzo and Big Cass at Madison Square Garden and Ring of Honor, <laughs> you know? Well, Flaming Shark mentions there was a report that security didn't know, and you can see the one guy apologizing to Perry once his mask was off. I noticed that too, uh, Shark. I, I did see the guy. He was just like, I didn't know, you know, like because he tra- a pretty big guy, a lot bigger than he, Perry. He's is. a regular. I was trying to pull. Uh, he is, yeah, he's a wrestler. Uh, he's one of the Academy guys. He is Emily May Heller's husband, I believe. The, okay. uh, the announcer? No, okay. So he's no, at I, all no, the I understand. Yeah, no, he's I understand all the shows. So, like, him not knowing was really interesting because he's one of those, like, deep in New Japan, like, like ring crew kind of thing. Yeah. So that's why I was, like, I was explaining the context of that. Like, he was, he was very much somebody that should have probably known because that was how tight, like, close to the vest beyond just a couple of the wrestlers knew what was going on. Yeah, Venkin asks, uh, I'm wor- uh, no, he says, uh, what if he's actually going to be in New Japan for a year? Well, I, I doubt it. First of all, I think they're going to bring him back into AEW. But the uh, if he is in New Japan, like, he could be an effective kind of mid-card heel guy. That would this, be um, I, I would say I like the idea of a match at Windy City and then another match at Forbidden Door. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's somebody for Umino to beat eventually. It does not have to be their first match. You can, you can, Jack Perry should win in Chicago. <laughs> Absolutely. You troll you. Troll you. Yeah. Oh no, I God. mean, yeah. It has to happen. He really does, doesn't it? I mean, what would get more heat? I can't what, think of anything. Like, that's why I have dunk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I just, yeah. What are they thinking if they don't? Uh, the the only way it works if he loses is if it's CM Punk sneaks into the ring, gives him a GTS, and that's how he beats him. And you don't give that away there. Don't oh. give that away there. Uh, and of course, CM Punk's not even there anymore. So I mean, I, but that's the only way that works if he loses that match. Uh, no one knows what conversation Jack and Tony Khan had, Vankin. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we don't know. Okay. Uh, but you know, there's there's. Uh, I mean. You mentioned that AEW is trying to make people forget about John. AEW is trying to make people forget about a lot of things. Jericho. So there is, <laughs> there's a lot zero. of like, let's not talk too out loud here about real life stuff. It's a pro wrestling. It's just wrestling. We can based off of the we way can assault women and work here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> based off of the way this all happened, I have zero doubt that Jack Perry is still with AEW. This is all just an angle and. He is yeah, not oh, yeah. actually he is yeah. not actually like persona non grata like Nick no. Houseman or something with AEW. No. Like this is all just rebuilding and and uh like putting more cachet into Jack Perry in which he oh, is yes. not just known for glass and CM Punk. Yes. No, 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 no. That's, that's absolutely what's going on here. This is the beginning of them bringing him back into AEW more than it's in Japan. And it's a great rehabilitation angle. I am here for it. Show to Umino calling him a punk kid, fighting him in Chicago, playing off of CM Punk. And I'm just like, I am here for this. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see how long he's around. You know, like I said, you might be able to get something out of him that's worthwhile. Who knows? Nobody else has yet. Five matches over under New Japan. Yeah, probably over. I'll take the under. All right. I, well, I mean, I don't know. You didn't give me any time to think about that, but I did. Yeah, no, I mean, it was, it was, uh, it was, if it's just I, a I two, literally, I literally just thought about it right now. I didn't it could just be a two. It could be a two out of three with Shota, but he also might do pre, he might do a run of previews or something That's like what that. I was too. like, I wonder if he's going to do the New Japan Cup. Yeah. I mean, that's a possibility. You could throw If he does that. the New Japan Cup, he's going to be here for a while. Yeah. You know, like he might have like a cup of coffee in 2025 
in New Japan. If he's not in the cup, that is a like tacit admission to me that he's got a couple of angles here or there, you know, with Shota, you know, blow it off, but he ends up back in AEW. And that's entirely reasonable too. Yeah. Would I prefer well, the New Japan Cup direction? Hell yes. Well, the whole thing, with, I mean, I, I mean, allegedly Riddle is going to do a tour, although that could go real wrong real fast. Uh, but, uh, and what I mean by that, by the way, is uh, that marijuana, marijuana laws are no joke in Japan. Like you can mm-hmm. get locked up good for that. It's not treated as with a wink and a chuckle here in the United States. And if he's going to have to leave those vape pens and whatever else he does the, the hell at home, because that's a problem in Japan. They don't look at it the same way we do. And since he's basically his gimmick is that he smokes weed. Uh, I'm, I know part of it's a gimmick and all that, but you know, he, hmm. I mean, he does. And so he needs to watch that is all I'm saying is that if he makes it all the way through that tour, be a bit of an accomplishment for Riddle because uh, no, I mean, they don't treat it a whole lot differently than hard drugs. It's very different than the United States as far as how they respond to uh, marijuana. I saw Riddle walk down the street for about 50 feet and he was the most Matt Riddle he could be with no one watching him that he could possibly add out. Just like, you're just, you're just like this all the time. Right on, man. <laughs> yeah, there might not be a gimmick. That might not be a gimmick. You're right. All right, moving on. Uh, we, we've got to get through this. We're 45 minutes. Uh, David Finlay Jr. and uh, TJP. Nope, that's not the next match. It was the the uh, Lucha Libre match, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Volador. The CMLL and, uh, main event. <laughs> Which uh, it was. Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Volador Jr. and Mascara Dorada against Rocky Romero and Soberano Jr. 11 minutes, 11 seconds, and this was terrific. It was a lot of fun. They just worked straight Lucha style. There was no uh, effort or or, uh, attempt to adapt, and I think that was a smart move. It really made the match stood out, and everybody there knew exactly how to work this thing. Dorada ended up being the big star here. Rocky is an excellent heel. And uh, Volador won with a running destroyer, and it was an air show in all the best way. Uh, I love this stuff. I love Lucha Libre. These are four of the better practitioners at it, and uh, it was a, a wonderful match to watch. I just had a blast. This was a party match for me. I was, uh, I was taking in some tweeting with Jack Perry stuff on social media and trying to watch the match at the same time. And I was like, man, they're just going all over the place. I could kind of put the phone down after two or three minutes into it, and they're just going, they're just. It's a lot of fun, and it's actually getting me more interested in Fantastica Mania uh, next month. So, yeah. uh, good job by New Japan. Yeah, and we'll we'll be seeing these uh, four in singles matches over the course of that time in Fantastica Mania as well. Yeah. So, I threw but, some information on it at the end of the the end of the stuff we have here today. Okay, and then we moved on to David Finlay Jr. against TJP. Uh, Finlay had other work to do later on in the night. So uh, TJP took a lot of this one. Uh, like I said, just uh, 13 minutes, seven seconds. TJP used red mist, a lot of mist in the show tonight. Yes. Uh, but uh, Finlay used the new uh, Oblivion move into the GTS to win. Uh, since TJP was doing the job, he took a lot of the match, though. And uh, Finlay actually sells as a heel pretty well. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, Jeremy, I know people are not convinced that david finlay is a competent leader of bullet club and i understand it but Mm -hmm. i feel like he's doing his part he had a good match at wrestle kingdom this was a good match he's going through and being as vicious as possible and doing his part and having the good matches now whether the fans eventually take to him or not i think if he goes down this path eventually more of them will come around uh, so I understand uh, that a lot of people still don't feel that way what was the live reaction to finlay 
Uh, they did not like him, but I cannot say that it was an overwhelming level of like vitriol towards him. Like he was the most hated man in the room. They were like, you're the bad guy. We don't like you. Um, we remember you from last year taking out Jay White. And, you know, it's like you have cachet in this building. We know that you're going to come off as one of the biggest bad guys around because of your time in this building. But we're not totally sold. And I definitely felt like both when I was watching the show, re-watching it, and watching it there, that if you are not believing in Finley, this match was not going to do anything to change your mind. Flaming Shark mentions this. He's, I think Finley's doing everything right at the moment. Yeah, I think I think he's doing his part. You can't ask him to do anything but cut good promos and have good matches. It's just a matter of people. There, this wasn't a, this was a TJP spotlight match in a lot of ways. Like yeah. he just got he just got a lot to do a lot of his stuff, and you know Finley was going to take it in the end, and it was designed that way. And TJP maximized his minutes. I've been saying that of a couple people lately. Like he had a he had a time to shine, and he uh he shined like a diamond. Yeah, he said that it takes a while. It's hard to gauge sometimes with heels, and he, that's also true. And he says the the War Dogs as a group are fantastic. Yeah, I think so too. That cage match is going to be a big deal for him. Oh, uh, coming super up. hyped for it. <laughs> Me too. But moving on to this one, you mentioned something with TJP. Yeah. Uh, briefly in post match comments, he said he might not be a junior for a whole lot longer. And again, you know, not everything is gospel in those, but the, not a whole lot happens by accident. More than there used to be, but not everything. And I think he is kind of throwing his hat in a little bit as the idea of a possible leader of United Empire going forward here, too. So TJP's gotten a lot of spotlight between what they did at Wrestle Kingdom with him, this match here. So it, it, we might be seeing him move up into the heavyweight division, perhaps, maybe move into a more prominent role with Osprey leaving. But uh, they seem to be they seem to have plans. I I don't know. And that's just me, like, how I feel about TJP. Between the Anxwar gimmick and being positioned as the leader of United Empire, I feel like it's one or the other, and they've already gone in the Anxwar direction. And I'm not sure he has enough cachet in wrestling to usurp that role, and it might be just kind of a red herring before they... It's gonna be well, somebody else that is not quite established within United Empire, but could potentially lead United Empire for the next year or so. Uh, I don't know. It's a puzzle. Maybe um, maybe well, like uh, uh, something well, to something to unpack. Maybe like a riddle. Well, I'm not saying that he is the. I'm not saying he's going to be the leader. I'm no, saying no. that part of the story might be that he's put his name in for it. Yeah, is, uh, no, I, could, yeah, I'm not. I, I didn't mean to say to say that he's going to be the next right, leader. No, leader. But I like think it's going to be part of the story. When he says that, that he put his name in, it's like, no, that doesn't feel right to me. You know, like it doesn't like that doesn't feel like a natural progression of the direction of TJP. Again, as far as Riddle goes, and I know you just, you know, drop that in there as far as Riddle <laughs> being in the UE, my just dude, cautious with Riddle in New Japan. I, yeah. th there's just a lot could go wrong. A sure. lot could go wrong with this. So let's see. Um, and he said, you know, he, uh, Shark says he could make a run of being the junior heavyweight champion, maybe he wins best of the super junior. Certainly would be a contender for that. Yeah. 
yeah, I mean, there's a lot you could do with the guy because he's pretty versatile as far as uh, in-ring work goes. So after that, we have the strong women's title match. Let's get through the – nope, no, I'm, geez, I'm skipping around all over the place. This is the open weight tag team title match. Sorry, guys. Uh, Gorillas of Destiny, Hikaleo and El Fantasmo against the Bullet Club. This is Coughlin and Connors. So uh, we did not have uh, Maloney. We didn't, uh, and, and Gabe Kidd was busy with Eddie Kingston. Boy, was he! So we got this uh, kind of a makeshift Bullet Club team, but they were still really good together. This was a crisp, fast-paced match. It was good. Hikaleo sold a lot early. Uh, ELP did his usual run of dives and the, the the Cabrada and just one after the other. That's always fun to watch and always gets over. A terrific uh, sequence there. War Dogs hit a hijack, uh, so it looked like they were going to give it uh, to them, but ELP managed to break that up. Uh, the baby faces were over. Both guys, Hikaleo and ELP, had chance for them at various points oh, yeah. in this one that were audible, even on the Japanese feed. And uh, eventually, Hikaleo and ELP broke up a spike pile driver attempt. They fought for and got the big choke slam with Hikaleo, and then Thunderkiss 86 splashed a win. Yeah, because this isn't the real Bullet Club tag team, isn't it? So Coughlin mm-hmm. and Connors aren't. I'll buy it to give away. Like this is it. This is it. We're not going in that direction right now. Yeah. So <laughs> that, that was that was a, a solid defense for Girls of Destiny. They have two different defenses coming up against Chase Owens and Kenta, one for each belt. So uh, you know, there's more to do there, but a heck of a good match in the middle of the show. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. ELP is one of the biggest baby faces on this card. Everybody seems to love him. Uh, there was a point, I think, at the beginning where they put all of their belts on a kid right outside of ringside. So this kid is draped in all four belts and yeah, they're taking photos that. with him. And it's just right. like, this kid is just losing his mind. Hikaleo is just having fun. They're doing their, like, they got to do their uh, cartwheel high five and they're getting uh, foiled by Bullet Club from doing it at the beginning. Just, you know, classic baby face stuff. These are the right guys to have the belt. Yeah, let's see. Uh, and then uh, Venkin just says, wasn't it on this show last year that ELP got kicked out of Bullet Club? No. Nope. I think it happened a little later in the year than that. But... No, it was not. Yeah, it happened a little bit the later. Last year was when Jay White and Hikaleo had their match, and that was the big angle where uh, Loser had to leave New Japan, or Jay White had to leave New Japan if he lost, and then he lost. And, and well, not, yes. And, and not only did he lose that one, but. Uh, and then well, Battle of the Valley was he uh, Finlay clocked him in the head with the shillelagh before he could say goodbye too, right? Wasn't yeah. that at uh, San Jose yeah. or was that at the Pyramid? Yeah, I'm losing track. But there were a few more. No, months it was Kingston. Month. It was Kingston and Kingston, Finley. Yeah. It was Kingston and Jay White. Kingston and Jay. And then afterward, Finley clocked. Yeah, Jay Kingston White Jay. when he was saying goodbye. Point being, there was a little bit of time where ELP and Finlay were both in Bullet Club together, and ELP was expressing reservations that uh, that got him kicked out. So yeah, Battle of the Valley was that yeah, was during the New Japan Cup last year. There we go. And so we have uh, the next. Now we have the uh, strong women's title match. Uh, this was Julia and Trish Adora. Just went over 13 minutes. Uh, I thought this was a strong performance for Trish. Julia was good again. Both of them hit hard, and so they hit each other very hard. Uh, that's just their style. Uh, stiff forearm, German, German suplex exchange. Really hit home right there. Looked pretty good. There was a good battle on the top rope. That led to a butterfly suplex from Julia. That was the basically the beginning of the end for Trisha Dora. The exchange of strikes led to a Northern Lights suplex for the win. I liked a little bit that this match began slow and cautious. And I, by that, I do not mean boring, but I mean a little chain wrestling, a little bit of, you know, the little uh, neutral stuff where you lock up and then break up. 
to me, Jeremy, that just kind of says that they're getting over the idea that this is a title match and I don't want to do anything stupid early. You know, I'm taking the, I'm calculating. Uh, it gets over the idea of a title match and looks different than everything else, which a lot of these shows, these matches are kind of shot out of a cannon. And so this actually had a different beginning to it that I like. Uh, good performance from Trish, retention from Julia, bigger things to come. Uh, overall, not bad. I thought Julia was able to make Trish look better than she was. And yeah. Trish was good, but Julia is great. And so yeah. Trish was able to make, well, Trish was able to look great because Julia was bringing her up to her level. I don't know if Trish Adora could have these matches consistently, but you have found out that her potential to do so consistently in the future, she has it, which is good. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a sign of a great worker, isn't it? That you can take yes. other people and lift them up there. So after that, we had uh, the X who wasn't an X. This is Matt Riddle and X mystery partner uh, that mm -hmm. just about everybody figured out who it was before I knew beforehand. And I was on a cruise ship, uh, but we were on uh, again, Zach Saber Jr. Add bad dude, Tito, big teats back in the house. And man, did he look good. So the chosen bros, Matt Riddle and Jeff Cobb. Uh, faced TMDK. It went just under 12, 11.45 here. And, of course, this is a team that has been uh, that has a lot of history together, Cobb and Riddle. But for me, the opposite pairings uh, were the highlights for me. Tito against Cobb was a lot of fun. I would mm -hmm. love to see that match. So was Zach versus Riddle, of course. Uh, no surprise there. Zach worked middle, Riddle's bare feet a lot, uh, which was fun. Uh, he reversed a kick into an ankle lock, which looked fantastic. I remember we're talking do about. You remember, uh, do you remember the Cobb versus Tito match on Strong last year? Yeah, I, I, I now that I'll you mentioned, I do. Oh, good uh, match. <laughs> they're they're both just so. They, they came so they good. came back for it again, and it was just like hell yeah, this match, this match made me so happy when I was watching it, and up to a yeah. point of like it was my favorite match of the night, yeah. and uh, I was really curious about how the reaction that Riddle had that night as well. Yeah, I'm, we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But the key is Riddle is facing Hiroshi Tanahashi for that TV title mm -hmm. coming up very soon. So yes. he needed to look good here. And, of course, he was going to get the win. That was without a doubt. He ended up getting the bro Derek on bad dude Tito to win the match. He had to. There's just no other way to do it if you're hyping up a match with Tanahashi. So with that in mind and Riddle moving forward to face the ace and the president, what was the reaction to Riddle live in the building? It was quiet and muted when they were doing the recap video to hype up the match where he was doing his like speech to Tanahashi in which Tanahashi, you know, did the whole, I don't know who you are, uh, which was <laughs> one of the funniest things happened on new, uh, new year dash. So it's quiet. And then it's music hits. And then all of a sudden you just hear the bro, 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 bro. And like the entire audience, you could just hear the pattern of like the beatbox of the bro. I was like, well, he's going to be fine. No problem there at all. <laughs> and then that was that. As long as he holds on. As long as he yeah. holds on. Yeah, just keep, uh, your, keep your stuff I together. I thought, frankly speaking, he was the weakest guy in the match. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, Tito really stood out. Zach is Zach Tito and Cobb is Cobb. Cobb are just like a day at the office. And mm -hmm. it's like Riddle, Riddle just did Riddle things within there. But it's like, yeah, he shouldn't the best guy in the on the thing he needs to he needs to like up his game to match and this was a good kind of like all right this is what i gotta do to be better 
And keep in mind, he's been working a WWE style for quite a while. Sometimes it takes time to shake that off and break out of it. Not that the WWE style is bad. They have good matches. But there is a, uh, there's a box in which you have to work. Uh, mm-hmm. Triple H has said it. He said, if you're going to be on our team, you have to work out of our playbook. And there is a WWE playbook. And sometimes it takes guys a few matches to shake some of that off. We know he can. I mean, when he was in PWG, he had really exciting matches and interesting matches that weren't all like his WWE matches and WWE matches were bad. So it, it's, it sometimes takes a little while to get that, yeah. uh, to get that back. So, so we had uh, a lot yeah. of good, a uh, couple of good pictures here. Got yeah. Let's better. see. Oh, there's Zach. Yeah. There you go. There's the, yeah, the chosen yeah. bros. Woo-hoo! There you go. Then we had this <laughs> match. Right. Well, before we move on, I want to get to a couple oh. of comments. We have some good oh, ones yeah. here. Uh, I can bad do Tito switch with riddle to challenge Tana. Uh, well, you know, um, that wouldn't be bad. Wait on. And then basically a lot of love for Tito in here. We all think that he should be in Japan more. When was the uh, Mustafa Ali video? That was somewhere in the middle here. Uh, it wasn't part of any one match. It was like a video in the middle of the show. Yeah. Where? Uh, okay, me, so a... uh, let, me, let me describe it while you get a glass of water here. So Mustafa Ali video pops up, and he proceeds to cut a campaign video in 2024 being your leader in pro wrestling, and he decides to challenge Romu Takahashi. And when he shot his shot against Romu Takahashi in that audience, the place went nuts. And I was I was really surprised. Like, I knew and I've been hearing stuff about how Mustafa Ali is drawing crowds and is a draw at all these events that he's been doing. But I didn't believe it until I saw it with my own eyes at, like, the New Japan event. Like, these crowd loved him. And I wasn't <laughs> sure why. I know he's good. I've watched the WWE stuff. But there is a belief in him that is undeniable that it sure isn't what has been shown on WWE programming and has led you to believe it. So, uh, I know he's good. And for him to have a match with Hiromu Takahashi in Chicago, it's probably going to be balls to the wall awesome. And I have no doubt about that whatsoever. But I was very, very surprised in the confidence of this crowd and how much they believed in him. Sometimes I think crowds like the New Japan crowd, the Ring of Honor, even AEW to an extent, get excited about people... (laughs) Not major number one stars coming over. Like, obviously, they were very excited about CM Punk. That's not, you know, or, or anybody else. But yeah, it, I sometimes I think they root for people they know are good, but never got a chance to show it. Mm-hmm. Because the idea is, oh, now you're here. Now you can show it. And we're excited to see it. And it, I, I think that the, the former Rusev, you know, Miro, I think some of his early reactions in AEW were part of that, where people were just like, oh, yeah, chains are off. We're going to see the good version of them now. And there were other people like that, too. But so sometimes I think that they just think, oh, we know this guy's good. He's going to be in Hiromu Takahashi. What could go wrong? It's going to be great. You know, and you start to build up this idea of we're finally going to see the full potential of someone that never got a chance to show it. Sometimes for our type of wrestling fans that are really into the work rate and all that, that's more exciting or as exciting in a different way as seeing a top star. 
yeah. it, it's just the idea that the uh, you know you can hype it up in your head that Something this match is I never happen. before, never, never happened before, never happened again, kind of thing. Yeah, or you know, just like we're finally going to get to see this guy unchained right here. And uh, Shark mentioned the same thing. People really feel like he got screwed over by WWE booking, but yeah, it's wild how much of a groundswell support he has. And uh, USVA guy is here, and he says, uh, 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 "Yeah, Ali and Hiromo is going to be wonderful." Yeah, uh, Dunstan, uh, Ali versus Hiromo is a big match that feels like a legit dream match. You know, a year ago, I don't think you would have used dream match and Mustafa Ali in the same sentence, but he's earned a lot of cachet, hasn't he? He's earned cachet that I didn't know he had. (laughs) All right, well, let's take a look at the next match, which was, now we're getting into this here. We're getting into the uh, Continental title match now. Talk about something. We've had a Lucha Libre match on the show. (laughs) We've We've had some technical stuff on this show, and then we got this. This was Eddie Kingston the and Gabe Kidd. <laughs> Kid with a jump start, of course. This is just a okay. I have I'm, to tell you, I have yeah, video, oh, and I wish I could. I wish I could put it on the video right now, but it has Kingston's theme song on it. Okay. The ovation in the audience when Kingston came out damn near blew the roof off the place. Like to tell you that New Japan fans love Eddie Kingston is like you don't know the meaning of love. They this play this place went nuts for him. Please continue with that in mind. Few people in wrestling have the connection with the audience that Eddie Kingston has right now. It's really seeing something special, folks. It's not like this very often. Uh, and of course, kids went with the jump start. Of course, this guy's such a good heel. Uh, Eddie's brawls are on another level with his selling, his intensity. Uh, the way he seems to just have to gird himself up for one more push. Let's see if I can just take this guy down. I've been beaten to death, but I'm going to sile up and try to do one more spinning back fist, see if I can end this guy. And Kid's great at this stuff, too. Uh, the spinning back fist by Eddie ended up knocking Kid out of the ring, and then they mm-hmm. brawled out there. But in the meantime, this was just a great brawl just a fight between two guys that know how to do this stuff and i'm not going to do it justice by giving any kind of a blow by blow but just go back and watch two guys who know how to sell the idea that they are in a knockdown drag out and they were both fantastic here uh kingston was just about to get back in the ring off that count out and kid who just so happened to be laying by the microphone grabs a microphone and says is that all you got you fat bitch now we all know the story about sammy guevara (laughs) <laughs> when he says oh, that oh my god you can hear a pin drop oh. you could hear a pin drop in the so before so everybody just went oh shit and he loses his damn mind as he would and goes after him it's a double count i like i said uh best double count out ever according to Venk. we're all I- so completely okay with it with the way that this went out it went down i'm like oh Fuck. No, Somebody's here's what die. <laughs> you know why I love the double count out the most, Jeremy? And seriously, and Venkin and everybody else. You know why I love the double count out? It's like, yes, we're getting it again. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, all I want. We're wanted. getting a no DQ in uh Windy City. And I think I'm pretty sure I had a conversation with Paul last week. Like, okay, you're not doing a no DQ match for this match, but you're doing a no DQ match for the next one. Yeah. All right. Now we <laughs> well, now we know, right? They had plans. Yeah, and Flaming Sharks said I died of laughter. That killed me. Kid's the best. Yeah, he really is starting to become that. Uh, Kid is becoming the king of the double countout. Yeah, he is. He's worked a couple of really good ones. Uh, have you ever, I, have you ever this seen fantastic. Uh, no notes, beautiful. Love the it. gun. It's an old movie with uh, Benicio del Toro and uh, oh, uh, 
Jason Philippe or whatever. Uh, That's a deep cut, but go ahead. It's a very deep cut. There are some lines at the beginning of the movie that I cannot utter here because they're so filthy. But <laughs> the way that there's like this brutal knockdown drag out fight at the beginning of it just reminded me of the Rod. It's like these two convinced me that for 10 minutes, they fucking hated each other. So we're going to see some version of this probably in Chicago as our guests. Uh, and we don't know what it'll be, what the stipulation will be. It has not been announced yet. And in the promos, they kept mentioning their friends too. Eddie was very specific about how he has some Puerto Rican friends. So we might get a couple of things on this before we get Kid versus Kingston one-on-one again. Perhaps there could be a multi-person match uh, to come on that. So we'll see where that, where that ends up because he specifically side. mentioned. What's that? You got to figure, right? I mean, but, but yeah. you know, if, if they come in for this, you know, against the war dogs, the way they brawl, hell yeah. Coglin, get him involved. I'm down. Yeah. Uh, and uh, let's see. <laughs> Dunson says, I hope uh, to President Tana that the war dogs can stay. They're so good. Yeah, they really are. I would say uh, our chief before Santana, but that would just be me. <laughs> well, you're it, not getting them both. You're not getting them both. We know that for sure. But, uh, you know, homicide's around. Uh, and, I, and, you know, that's the kind of match where homicide could actually excel when there's five other guys, too, sure. that can kind of cover his weaknesses. Uh, so the, and then USVA guy says the possibilities for Gabe are infinite. Kiyomiya, Eddie, many others. But the very few people have more interesting things set up for themselves for 2024 than Gabe Kidd does. And, you know, it's, everyone seems to have something interesting in mind for him. He started crap with a lot of different interesting people, and uh, it's going to lead to a lot of good matches. Uh, Bright future and a lot of blood. A lot of blood. But, you know, he can he can cook that up again. So after that, after that, after that, we had to have I, a no disqualification match. I actually uh, I have a little story about this one. I, uh, I need to go to the bathroom, Stephen. And <laughs> it was right before this match, and I figured I had time for the video package. And... <laughs> Uh, I really thought I really thought I had time. Really yeah. thought I was like I was gonna <laughs> all kinds of time. Gonna, gonna do, do a video package, maybe a little and promo thing. I'm coming out, wash my hands, dry it off, looking around. I'm like, I think I'm fine. I go through the side door of the entrance, and I get about four feet, and people look at me, and I'm like, I need to get out of the way. <laughs> and I move about four feet further, and there's John Moxley coming out <laughs> to his ring, and I'm like. I look around and there's one walkway around the back of the arena to my feet. <laughs> and I realize John Moxley is going to be coming in the back of my way and I need to get the fuck out of the way right now. <laughs> so I was leaping to my feet, uh, getting right back to it and then pulling out my phone and taking this photo. <laughs> Oh, there you go. You texted this to me. Uh, you texted this to me that this happened to you. And I just said, well, you should have just walked to the ring, except then you would have had to fight Shingo. Who wants oh, that? God. Oh, That's God. That's great. It was, I was like, I... How does this keep happening to me, Steve? <laughs> USVA guy says, I saw you walk by my booth, and I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> you were almost deputized as a manager. You know, you know? <laughs> just lead him to the ring. And just like, go oh, get him, I was like, I think I can get, I think I can get back to my thing. I'm like, I had moments to spare, but I probably should have had my phone and taken a photo slash thing because I was, I was right there for pretty much his entire like walk. You know, the funny thing, you should have just led him to the ring and there's like, go get a mox like yours, man. The thing is, their security would have been like, oh shit, they didn't tell us about something else. Well, don't get in the way. I was desperate. I was like, I part of it was looking at the entrance to see if I was like in the entrance in any way. I'm like, thank God, I don't need that kind of, I don't need that smoke in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, there you have it. So once the match started, though, 
it's Shingo Takagi and it's New Japan John Moxley. And it was very, very good. Uh, there was a cane duel early on. Shingo grabbed a couple of those canes, the bamboo canes, and tossed one to Moxley in a display of machismo. Uh, Shingo bled early in this one, a lot earlier than Mox did. Uh, they hit each other with all kinds of crap, basically. Uh, everything was done with good timing, though. It was a well-worked version of these no-DQ matches. Mm -hmm. uh, really good sequence battling for a pumping bomber. Uh, those two work stiff. They have no problem hitting and getting hit, so everything looked pretty good here. And so before we go to the, the highlights, which, again, aren't going to do it justice, what stood out for you in this one? Okay, so I have to tell you. From where I was sitting, I could barely see a lot of this match happened at ringside. And a mm -hmm. lot of it happened at ringside. There was one uh, sequence where Moxley jumped off the top rope and landed on Chingo. And all I could hear was a sound. And I'm like, oh, that sounds bad. But I couldn't <laughs> see anything. Uh, within the match itself, the chair fight, uh, the end, uh, the the sequence to the end between the the kick out at one mm. with Shingo all the way to the finish. I didn't like it in person, but when I rewatched it in the end, or I, I did rewatch this match on TV because it was a thousand times better on television than it was uh, from watching it, watching it live. And that is the only match on the card that I would say uh, mm. that was just a hard watch for me, both because I was, you know, it was getting later on the night. We were super hyped and there was not a whole lot of like, stepping off the gas during this show but uh i wanted to make a point of watching it on tv because i'd heard how good it was i had a great time watching it but it was not it was definitely better for me watching it on tv so eventually uh shingo went through the thinnest table in the history of pro wrestling I, this this table was oh, so rickety the when they set it up <laughs> A full Yeti full of coffee would have broken through this table right there, but poor Shingo had to be carefully placed on it. Uh, but another table was later set up. Shingo ended up shooting green mist at Moxley. Mist is, uh, mist is the way to go today. Uh, it's, it's the new crucifix pin. Uh, led to a DVD on Mox through the table, which looked pretty brutal. Pumping Bomber, Made in Japan. Both of those got two. Uh, this is my note here, Jeremy. Uh, you could drop a building on New Japan Moxley, apparently. <laughs> it's like yes. guy's just indestructible. The guy of Godzilla. <laughs> Venkin mentions this in the chat here. There was a, and I mentioned it too in my notes. Mox hit a cutter, a curb stomp, and a death rider for two. And that got a huge pop. And it was a cool looking sequence, I have mm -hmm. to say, right there. That was really good. Uh, finally, there was a death rider on a, an open chair, a chair not laying flat, but uh, set up for someone to sit in. Death rider on that to win. Uh, my final note on this is this match was utterly preposterous and a lot of fun to watch. Yes. Yes, it was. And I was, I was up on my feet clapping at the very end of this match. I was like, God damn, that was a good match. Yeah. And we, I think, Dave actually, Melker came over to me right at this match. And I don't know if you've ever heard these stories before, but when Melker's writing his notes when he's out at home, away from home, he texts somebody. Like, over every note that he writes about a match, like sentences, like, in a row on the way the order of a match goes, he'll write it down and he'll send it to somebody as a text message, and then he'll go read the text message. Because for whatever reason, it works for him to make sure that he has the everything in the order of how it happens and he can go oh, okay. back in and, and, and it can be like, he, he counts it up more than like notes app or anything like that because it went to somebody else. There was like a, a receipt of it. Somewhere. Okay. 
he's having issues with the internet. So he runs over to me with this phone of like, I'm having problems with my text messages. I need you to, I, I, I need you to fix it. And he puts his phone in my hand and all of a sudden I have to go through about a hundred text messages in order to like try again and use my hotspot and all this. And this is after the match with night uh, with Moxley and Shingo. And so Moxley's trying to do a promo and I'm with Dave and he's like, I don't know if Okada and Osprey are going to beat that. And I was just like, you don't think those two are going to beat that? Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. And then I'm trying to do his phone and I, and I do something and all of his texts disappear and he has a panic attack. And for about three <laughs> minutes, I'm sitting there like, I never need to touch Dave's phone ever again in my life. <laughs> this is freaking me the fuck out it's because he's having a panic attack. I'm trying to enjoy the show right now. Moxley just like called out Naito. What's happening here? There's a poster on the screen. Everything is going nuts. I, and then Jeremy. all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, I got the text back. I'm oh, like, Jeremy. Okay, great. Go sit down. <laughs> Thanks to you, there's going to be a, a paragraph blank spot in the Observer where Jeremy Feinstone couldn't rescue the text <laughs> messages. Uh, and so Flaming Shark mentions, <laughs> mentions this, that uh, the New Japan Moxley has the true spirit of Enoki with a little Onita mixed in. Well, we talked about that, too. We said it was Shingo... Uh, tributing Onita or Terry Funk more. I think a little more Onita than Terry Funk yeah, with the jeans yeah. and the white t-shirt. Funk usually wore his, t his, his tights there, uh, but we had that you same conversation. Do right? you know what Shingo's shirt said? What did it say? Burning Shingo. There you go. Hardcore. Yeah, it's a, that is a, it was a hardcore match. That was a, that was a lot of fun. It was a good time. So uh, anyway, moving on from that, Moxley gets the microphone after that and said that he uh, was, there's only one thing left that he wants to do, and he wants Tetsuya Naito. That got a pop, and now we know we're getting that in Chicago. So as far as the challenge That's goes... That's why we got the LIJ match with Shingo, to set him up for Naito. I was like, why are you doing Shingo? And I actually, like, I wasn't half paying attention to the whole day thing, and I just yell out, Okada! And then he said, Naito, I'm like, oh, that's better! <laughs> we'll probably get that eventually. But uh, no, for I, now, I it, hope Wrestle yeah. Kingdom next year is Okada and Moxley. Uh, one of these days, we're going to get it. Definitely intriguing because they don't beat Moxley very often. But I think Naito is going to do it, and then you don't, you just don't get that a whole uh, that very often. years and no pins. Naito's the guy, or or Moxley wins he going into Forbidden Door. Could go either way. We'll see. It, it does put the title in jeopardy, which is always intriguing. We. I, I don't necessarily think Naito goes into Wrestle Kingdom as the champion, by the way, next year. So that, I, I think he probably he might he might very well lose it. I, I don't a rain, a long rain, but how long is that rain? Yeah, yeah. I it I don't see this being a long thing with ten defenses. I just don't. But uh, who knows? I, I mean, it could do it. it. It's Moxley has a lot of cachet in Japan. He's a great new Japan wrestler. He has a little bit almost of uh, it's a totally different wrestling style, but almost that Bruiser Brody. Uh, I've thought about that before. This marauding American that just tears apart everybody and has all these great matches that go all around the arena. He doesn't wrestle like Brody. Uh, no one does. But, uh, well, a lot of people have tried. But uh, Moxley doesn't try to wrestle like Brody. It's a different style, but that same kind of spirit of, you know, this thing could spill out and go all mm -hmm. through the arena at any time and be very exciting. So, uh, yeah. And uh, Dunstan has a question here, and I think it's a good one. With just two matches announced, they already sold out the current setup. Do you think they could push for an actual sellout? Yes. 
Yeah, yeah, I do too. No, I think no. it gets I think it gets seven or eight thousand in the place if they just announce a whole no card and really hype it correctly. I think it's there. Yeah. I think the the potential is there. Yes. Uh let me try to comment here. He should fire that one up. Oh, sorry. Uh what's that one? Mox oh, weirdly has a up. real chance of winning. Him doing Windy City, Dotanko, Don Taku, mm. Dominion, and Forbidden Door. And- Don, Don Taco is a place up in Dallas. I've been there. And AEW All Out as well. That mm. could be a couple a couple of things. I do, yeah. I'm I would like it. Uh it would be bold and you know, given that he just had a global heavyweight championship match and did not win that one, but did not lose either. Ambiguity. Here's my question on that. Let, let's, well, not my question on that, my comment on that. Let's see how many tickets Naito title defenses sell. Mm-hmm. Let's, let, before that happens, before we get to that, if things are really up from Sonata, that, that's going to play a factor too. Because remember, New Japan, ticket sales, merchandise those are their main two sources of revenue there's not there aren't huge tv deals to to do so ticket sales and if the tickets are up with naito as champion then that's going to be a factor in the decision making so it is the 24th right it is all lij and Mm. just five guys single matches yeah be a good one to pay attention to yeah and then he, Dunstan just says, I, I I don't think having the top title being gone from New Japan would be a good idea. Yeah, right. You, you'd really have to, you'd have to twist their arm. You'd have, yeah, uh, I'm not, there I'm there not is a Mogley aspect of it that there are a few people that have that ability and have had enough time in New Japan that you could probably do a few months, but I would not want it to be that case going into G1. Yeah, and and Venkin mentions Moxley did say at the start of the year is going to be there a lot. Well, I mean he's he's he fits in in New Japan in a very interesting and, and exciting way. So we're gonna, moving on to the main event. Do it. We, special singles match: Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay went twenty eight minutes and thirty four seconds. Uh, this is it's what we expected, isn't it? We expected a wonderful, classic, strong style professional wrestling match, and we got it. Uh, this was. Uh, again, another one that we won't do justice. I'm glad you got that picture. I'm going to talk about that in a second. This was Okada, again, doing all of his stuff where he's working the neck. DDTs on the outside, uh, pile drivers and stuff like that. Uh, Osprey pulling his moves out. The match had that consistent build to it that you love about an Okada match where the intensity ratchets up minute by minute by minute by minute. And you know, the longer it goes, the less you want it to stop, but the more excited you are to see the finish. As it built, they started doing the classic moves, uh, their own classic moves and each other's. I mean, at one point, Osprey hit the Okada dropkick in a Rainmaker. At one point, Okada hit a, a Stormbreaker in there. There were just all these little Easter eggs that have been planted, uh, that have been planted, you know, plant Easter eggs, that have been laid throughout their entire rivalry. Uh, there were little th- notes that were hit that tapped into different eras of their time in New Japan together all building up for the final sequence, of course, which was them squaring off. Like I said, I'm not going to do blow by blow. It's not going to do it justice. Uh, Hard, short clotheslines until Will collapsed. A Death Valley driver, the dying Rainmaker, finally gets the pin. You had a photograph up there where he actually did do uh, a couple of finishers and Osprey kicked out. And this one here is what I'm saying. That he's doing, for the folks of you listening, Osprey kicked out of a Rainmaker. Okada looks 
utterly shocked in that cartoon WWE way, <laughs> which I always like, please don't tell me he's practicing that. Uh, of course, the thing is in WWE, you look shocked when somebody kicks out of a move that you never beat anybody with, but you still do the hand on the head and the eyes thing. It's one of the dumbest things that company does. He but did this for so long. This was, I got, I got so many pictures of this. I think it was like 30 seconds and he, he, Never done this, and so he milked it for all it was worth. <laughs> he was going to do it. Hopefully, he only does it the one. Uh, Venkin just says, I was losing my shit when that drop kick got countered into a, a, countered oh into a Liger bomb. Fantastic. That was, that was the move that popped me of oh, the yeah. entire night. That was the move that I was like, oh, my God. Will hitting the Okada drop kick got me. I I love because his timing was as good as Okada's. And one of the thing about Okada is he always hits that drop kick at exactly the right time. And Will did it this time. Uh, Sharks is not one of their best matches. It's among them though, uh, but still absolutely superb. Surreal to watch an Osprey Okada match in person. Yeah, I feel that's super lucky for the matches I've seen live in my life. Oh man, when I went to the G1 in Dallas. I remember just sitting there thinking it's the first night of the G1. So at least the main event is going to be really good because they always do a big main event there. And when they said it was going to be Okada versus Tanahashi, I almost fainted in my living room. I was mm -hmm. so ecstatic. And when that match, when Red Shoes rang the bell for that match, there was a one minute standing ovation before they locked up. And it wasn't for any one guy. It was just a matter of this building being we're happy to be here to see this. And you got a little bit of that at the beginning of this one. I believe there's a holy shit chant before they they locked up. Uh, no, I have a two-minute video. I'll If I haven't sent it to you, I will. Where it's just basically like the vibe of Osprey from the entrance all hmm. the way as he, uh, as he prowls to the ring and walks up to the ring, uh, to the corner of the rope. And it was like, <laughs> this is so yeah these two are fantastic together uh, it looks like it's the last one for a while anyway and uh, they went out uh, great with okada getting the victory afterwards of course because they have to ruin everything the war dogs came out and started laying people out uh, and of course it makes sense because they're going to be in that steel cage match coming up next month however uh we had uh eddie kingston who went right after gabe kid again thank you eddie for making sense well uh, no it was TJP and jeff cobb, and jeff cobb yeah no no i'm, I'm getting there eddie. i'm getting there i'm getting there. <laughs> but ue was out there of course to support will eddie came out ran them all off and that allowed will to cut his uh post-match promo and not have that cut off the way jay white was cut off the previous year yeah i look very interested in the fact that they saved eddie as the big hero to drive off the bad guys because they are really trying to make him like the centerpiece of the, of the promotion stateside. And so I just like, I have to really underline like the way that they in the audience and in the, and at the show, like putting kids in that position was very, very noteworthy to me. Yeah, it definitely was. And there, it was a, uh... Just terrific uh, night there, and uh, we, we move on now from there to the Windy City uh, Riot. We go on to the new beginning, and uh, there's just good stuff ahead all the way around. And for, uh, for Will, the good news is, again, AEW, which does not close the door to future appearances. Uh, I don't think we'll be seeing him as, regular as uh, regularly as we'd like, but uh, he's going to be around at least there. And, uh, yeah, and uh, just... A lot of things set up for the future, which is exciting. It's not a self-contained little show like, hey, we've been to America. You get to see everybody. Now we're leaving. There's some continuity here. There's stories to follow. Uh, just a thumbs up for me all around. Best night I've ever had at the Civic. 
uh, the best night of wrestling that's ever happened at the San Jose Civic, and there's been a lot of shows there. And, and uh, said I was, that, right? Yeah, yeah, we were talking about it right after the show. We we're like, uh, like, has there ever been? Have you ever seen a better show? You're like, no. Like, How many shows have you been here? And it's like <sighs> over a hundred. I'm like, yeah, yeah all right then. Yeah. Uh, Eddie, I owe you one. And uh, Venkin says, when Will Ospreay was rescued him, is this something do you think that it played out in AEW in some way, shape, or form? It's always an option. You, you yeah. can always drop it in there. I, I doubt that there is a storyline woven that far ahead in Tony Khan's mind that has Will Ospreay saving Eddie Kingston. But uh, you know the the you know <laughs> you know who knows. I mean, there 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 could be uh, some twists and turns in this that uh, Will could help Eddie out, or he could just be. It's just something you would say in that situation too. Uh, and so with the idea that you can always come back to it if it's there. If you if you drop it there, you can always pick it up later. Not, but yeah, I would love to see it. I think that that's a fascinating, uh, that's a fascinating coupling there. The you know a team, uh, very very different, but it might work great. So, I'm just throwing a couple pictures out while we're talking about it here. Go right ahead. And yeah, there's the, some good uh, stuff there. The brawl that we had there, and then uh, yeah, I got a uh, I got previewed for the next couple of things here. Okay, let's go through those. So well, we have uh, some things here. Yeah. Okay. So a new beginning in Nagoya. Let's start with that. So this is on the twentieth, which is tomorrow Saturday. morning, uh, right? Saturday morning. Saturday. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on which time zone you're Ish. in. But Saturday, January twentieth. The key matches for this one: King of Pro Wrestling title match, Great Okan versus Taiji Ishimori. And this says an interesting stipulation. They did the vote. Now, Great Okan went for a bull rope match. Uh, but uh, I think that they uh, picked the better idea. This is a ring fit match. So, Jeremy, 10-minute match. Every three minutes, though, the participants must do 30 seconds of high-intensity training. Should be fun. Yeah, I'm pretty sure uh, Ishimori is going to sneak a pin in the uh, in one of the second, between the second and third exercise, <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. running away for the last 30 seconds of the nine-minute thing. This is going to be silly. Uh, I got a question for you. Did you happen to catch anything about this Tamatonga evil yeah. bullshit? Yeah, apparently, uh, word is that somebody made a mistake and listed evil prematurely as the never open weight champion. Now, they covered this nicely by putting together a very quick video uh, of evil going into the uh, control room, as you can see here on screen. There's a YouTube of it on the New Japan uh, YouTube channel where he intimidates a poor office worker sitting next to uh, a very nervous Chris Charlton. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Chris is over there on the right, and this poor guy is just getting roughed up by evil. This was all an angle from the beginning. Whenever there's evil, whenever the never open weight titles uh, involved, you need to ring the bells of of bs and this is exactly what happened here <laughs> yes absolutely so yeah uh now that does not mean that evil's not winning this match it could very well uh well, we don't knows. know but, but we don't know there's a, there are there are options there but that one's going to happen we're also getting the strong tag team titles on the line el Fantasma and hikaleo in the first of their two matches with chase owens and kenta they will face again for the iwgp titles later in the tour which we'll get to in a bit so that's saturday those are the key matches there well, we got uh, the uh, we got the never open weight and uh, Togi Makabe with against the uh, TMDK with Kuki Fujita, and then we got one of the thousand just five guys and Lij matches that we're going to be seeing for the next few months. Despawato against Sho and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, yeah. leading up to the uh, junior heavyweight title match. 
We've also got uh, some United Empire and Bullet Club action, a little bit yeah. of brawl. And then we got Tomaki Honma, Shota Umino versus Ren Narita and Yujiro Takashi. I just have to do this. This is the best picture. <laughs> no, oh, my fine. God. This is so great. Flaming Shark mentioned that Ishimori as king of pro wrestling is going to be peak memes. Yeah, Absolutely. probably will. That's going to be fun. And then uh, Dunstan mentions one more thing about Battle in the Valley. The great thing about this show is that nothing felt lacking on the show. You got a little of everything. It was a true classic variety show. Right, uh, so let's we got look. the 23rd and 24th, right? We got well, yeah. Okay, so let's get into this a little bit because we've got uh, the new beginning will continue on, on Sunday in Shiga, but that one doesn't seem like it's going to go up on World. It looks like a non-televised event. And then on the 23rd and 24th, they will be in Corican Hall, uh, mostly preview tags, but on top on the 23rd, we'll see the junior heavyweight title match between Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Master Wado against Sho in a special singles match. On the 24th, the second night in a row, they're at Cork, and it'll be Shota Umino versus Ren Narita in a singles match. That's the main event there. So uh, not too many singles matches in New Japan, so that's a kind of a big one right there. Uh, I feel that, validated that Ren and Shota ended up being a main event singles match on sure. a card after Wrestle Kingdom. I'm like, that's what I wanted. That's what we're getting. Well, yeah. I mean, that's going to main event a lot of shows over the years. Absolutely. We're going to continue on with the tour. New beginning in Osaka is Sunday, February 11th. That's Super Bowl Sunday for those folks here in the United States, or as they call it uh, anywhere else, Sunday. Uh, it's the uh, never open weight six-man titles, Ishii, Tanahashi, and Okada against the TMDK team of Kosei Fujita, Shane Haste, and Mikey Nichols. Also see the IWGP tag team title match, Chase Owens and Kenta against Hikaleo and ELP. We'll see a special singles match that I cannot wait for to see again. It's Zack Sabre Jr. against Brian Danielson. Yes, please. Give me more. And then the steel cage match of the United Empire against the War Dogs. So uh, then we're back February 23rd and 24th. Two shows in Sapporo. Uh, that's going to be Tanahashi versus Riddle on the 23rd for the TV title. Nick Nemeth in one of his match, his first match, I believe, with uh, David Finlay there for the global title. Mm -hmm. And then on the 24th in Sapporo, singles match series with LIJ going against just five guys in a whole, in a, a series of singles matches. So Hiromu versus Doki, Taka versus Bushi, Uemura versus Suji, Shingo versus Taichi, and then the, the IWGP World Heavyweight title match of Sonata versus Naito for the main event. It's so. kind of funny. We, um... We have the 20th, 23rd, and 24th, and then we basically go quiet for a week and a half, and then it's the 11th, and then we got all the fantastic Mania shows that are coming yeah. up. Yeah, and we're going to talk uh, about those in a second. Yeah, and then yeah, we're going to have the 23rd and 24th, and then it's just full steam ahead into the cup. Sharks just says, I can't be recall being this excited for New Beginning in Osaka. It looks like a terrific card. And then uh, Venkin says, you know, it'll be funny with Shota getting attacked uh, by Perry after the Ren match. <laughs> the guy can't cool. catch a break. Uh, yeah, and uh, and he said, and Shark says, and the matches on top aren't even title matches, yeah, but there are matches that we're fascinated by. And the Fantastic Mania Tour, we've got some information about this. So, first of all, uh, Kamai Tachi is going to be making a return for the love of God. That was Hiromu Takahashi's CMLL uh, excursion <laughs> gimmick. Uh, Kamai Tachi, uh, we talked a little bit about that when Scott Edwards was on the show. Uh, we talked about the history of Kamai Tachi, he's going to be part of Fantastic Mania now. Hiromu lost his mask to Dragon Lee. So according to him, he can't be, and this is true in Mexico. It's not necessarily true in Japan, but he can't be Kamai Itachi again. He's been unmasked. Can't go back under the gimmick. He said it's going to be second generation Kamai Itachi. Let's hope it is not uh, Taguchi, but who knows? Uh, we'll see who that ends up being. Uh, 
we're going to have some women on the card for the first time. It is going to be Yuvia and La Harochita. Uh, we'll be there against two mystery opponents who could be stardom wrestlers. So that could be fun. But we, we don't know. They haven't announced uh, mystery opponents for uh, Yuvia and uh, La Harachita. Uh, both are pretty good. Uh, not quite on the level of Vaquer necessarily, but nobody else really is at, that, at the moment. But they're very good. They're, this should be fun. We'll also see Rocky Romero versus Volador at Corican Hall. Soberano Jr. against Templario. And uh, the second night at Corican Hall to end the thing will be Mistico versus Ultimo Guerrero, which is a big match. Mascarada Dorada versus Duca Jr. So uh, a lot of really good stuff coming up, uh, as well as that uh, tag team tournament that you see there that's a, a two-nighter. They'll have the uh, semifinals on one night and then the third-place match at the finals the second night. And uh, there, so that's uh, Titan and Bushi are the New Japan guys in that one, and then the rest are CMLL wrestlers. So a lot of good stuff to come. I'm uh I'm I'm getting more excited for CMLL, especially since we're getting English translation this year. Uh, that's yeah. gonna make me that's gonna that's gonna add to my uh, anticipation and excitement for this. We're getting close to the end, but you got some killer Kong stuff, right? I do have some killer Kong stuff. I want to talk about you know, this guy because he he's we a haven't very had the chance. No, so we have not. Uh, no, and uh, you know I do want to talk about this guy because uh, basically the Great Okan does his gimmick. Uh, let's just be that's how influential he is, is that there is a guy in major matches in New Japan that is basically doing this guy's uh gimmick. So Killer Khan uh is uh was uh Masashi Ozawa and he began his career in 1971 in the JWA, former sumo guy that came over to the pro ranks. Uh, first match we have a record of was on June 29th, 1971 against Osamu Kito. You remember Kito just passed away not too long ago. Uh, Keto clutch guy. Uh, so uh, both those two are tied together a little bit. And he was with the JWA and he stayed with the JWA through 1972. So the first year of New Japan, he actually stayed in the Japanese Wrestling Association, which was kind of dying off. But he followed Inoki to New Japan after that. March 30th, 1973 is when he came to New Japan. He began traveling in 1977 and uh, Carl Gotch gave him the Killer Khan gimmick in 1979. Um, I'm going to lose my voice here for just a moment. Be right back. Sure. You got this. Uh, then again, the, uh, the CMLL tour is from February 12th to February 18th. Uh, it will be six days, and then they are going to jump right back into the uh, New Beginning tour. Yep. Okay, sorry about that. Oh, you're good. Some of the allergens getting to me here a little bit. So... He began traveling, and uh, Carl Gotch gave him the Killer Khan gimmick in 1979. Once he came to the United States, he started working in Florida, Georgia, Mid-South, WWF, a little bit in Mexico. He was really tall, and he could move well. Uh, and so he was an interesting big man for the time, who were usually either huge and immobile, or you know, you didn't get a lot of real agile big guys, but he was, and he, and he could move. He was always pushed as a heel. There, in his time in the United States, there really isn't a point where Killer Khan is on before intermission or anything like this. Mm -hmm. Guy was a pushed heel, usually given a manager to speak for him. Uh, Freddie Blassie, the great Mephisto, some of the best talkers of their time were uh, managers for him. And he was animated on his interviews. Instead of just kind of standing there uh, looking menacing, he would make all kinds of noises. He would move around the interview set and he was, he would growl and spit and all this kind of, he was animated, but his most famous opponent was Andre the giant. They first met doing handicap matches back in 1974 in Japan, where he was just jobbing for Andre right there. Some in Georgia, 
but in April of 1981, fate intervened on behalf of Mr. Ozawa because Andre injured himself away from the ring. Did not happen during a match. Uh, some say he got out of bed, uh, broke his ankle, kind of getting out of bed because his body was just so awkward and there's a lot of stretch on his joints. But <clears throat> Khan was a top heel in WWF, but he had done his run with Bob Backlund already, where he challenged Backlund for the title and had a series of matches in the big towns and eventually lost around the horn to Backlund, right? So WWF, uh, usual pattern, the heel gets the best of the champion but doesn't win the title. Then there's a rematch. Then there's a third match, you know, where the, the, the two out of three where the champion runs off the heel finally. He had done that. It was about the time when heels start to work their way back down the card. Or they get into a feud with Pedro Morales or Pat Patterson, but they had something else in mind for Khan. Andre uh, was injured for a few weeks. They decided to tell the fans that Andre was injured in a match with, 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 uh, with Killer Khan. There was a match, apparently, uh, with Khan and Andre the Giant in Rochester, New York, but Andre had wrestled for weeks after it. But they just decided that's the day when it happened. That's that's when it happened. And they said that he like jumped off the second rope, came down with a knee drop, flying knee drop was his finishing move, and broke Andre's ankle. It didn't happen, but that's what they told everybody. This ended up being a monster angle that never actually took place because once <laughs> Andre came back, this match, Jeremy, was huge, and it went all through the major arenas. Uh, this was a big hit, and they did it. They did do one angle when Andre was on crutches, where Khan and Fred Blassie came out and kicked away the crutches and knocked down Andre. And uh, Vince McMahon doing his best Howard Cosell impression back then as the announcer was like, "Good Lord Almighty, how could you possibly?" <laughs> and it was oversold it perfectly. Uh, and so what they did was they went around all the big towns, New York, Philadelphia, Boston, all of them, and did a series of matches. Again, a, a disputed finish where Andre would be so mad at him for breaking his ankle that he'd go nuts and get disqualified. Or they'd get double counted out or something like that. They would bring it back. It would sell out again. So they would do that again. And then like the third time around, they would do a Mongolian stretcher match. And this is the match where you have to lay your opponent out and he has to be carried all the way out on a stretcher. And that would be, of course, the one that Andre won. So it's a stretcher match, not stretcher it, match. Yeah, but it's, it's a called a Mongolian stretcher match because um, that's what you do. Got it. Well, because he was from Mongolia, allegedly. Right, 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 right. Yeah, uh, so he was billed as being from Mongolia. Uh, so it was a Mongolian stretcher match. So <laughs> this was a big enough deal, Jeremy, that it was a feud that was unique in this way. The idea that somebody injured Andre the Giant was such a great angle that other territories would bring in the match as a special attraction instead of okay. just Andre. So it could draw anywhere. They would just come in and say, Andre the Giant is going to face the guy who broke his ankle. And it would sell tickets. So here are the number of places. Remember, this is a WWF angle. It happened on WWF TV, the crutches thing. And the main angle never happened at all. But this match was huge in Montreal. Toronto for Frank Tunney, who was booking mid-Atlantic wrestlers at the time. So there would be a match that the killer con versus Andre, the giant would be next to a Bob Backlund WWF title defense one night. Then they'd mm -hmm. go to Toronto and work next to Ric Flair versus Harley race for the NWA title. The next night it went to the LaBelle Los Angeles territory, mid South wrestling all the way down there. It, the word got out. It went to Houston for Paul Bosch. 
uh, it went all over uh, the world. They brought it to Japan eventually. It was the 1981 Observer Feud of the Year. So that was how well that went. And the key is Khan could get good matches out of Andre. Not everybody did. And not everybody needed to, right? Andre was mostly just an attraction. You just went to see him. But they worked well together. Their matches were kind of exciting. They were good brawls. And, uh, you know, Andre would bleed for him sometimes, especially in the stretcher matches. You know, Andre would bleed, and there would be these titanic struggles between these two huge guys. And uh, Venkin's asking who won the stretcher match. Andre always won the stretcher <laughs> match. Uh, the bread was buttered there. So in the end, in the blow-off of these series, and just about all those territories I mentioned, there would be a two- or a three-match series between the two. One where they would go to some disputed finish, then they'd bring it back for the stretcher match, and Andre would always vanquish him in the stretcher match. Uh, they brought that match to Japan, though, and it, it was the uh, they met a bunch of times there. In 1982, it was the final of the MSG League, which was that era's G1 tournament. So the finals of the G League that year was Killer Khan versus Andre the Giant. It was one of the biggest matches in all of professional wrestling. You could take it anywhere in the world and sell tickets. Uh, and that one, Inoki was injured also, and he was unable to go to the finals. So they put the next biggest match they could come up with that didn't involve Inoki. Uh, after that, he was a made man. So he was one of the top guys in New Japan from 1982 and 1983. Uh, but he did so well in the U.S. and made so much money that he went back. In 1984, he was back in the U.S. working for Stampede, Central States. He had a long run in world-class wrestling for the Von Erichs, Mid-South also. He ended up a little bit like Andre. When you look back at his history and his title, uh, he didn't hold a lot of belts. But he didn't need to. You know, he was a draw without the title belts. So uh, while he didn't hold a lot of championships, he was almost always the top guy everywhere he went. He moved over to All Japan in 1985, and he was in with all their top guys, like Baba, Saruta, Tenru, Choshu. Killer Khan was right in there with them. Final run of his career was in 1987. He went back to the WWF, and that's when I saw him personally. I saw him in South Bend, Indiana, and uh, Notre Dame, uh, wrestling Hillbilly Jim. Uh, and chasing around Little Beaver, if you remember the little um, the midget that was with Hillbilly right. Jim at the time. And uh, uh, Little Beaver had a hundred different ways to almost get caught by Killer Khan, but not quite. But I, that's where I did get to see Killer Khan. He won that match. He challenged Hulk Hogan uh, for the title in several of the major cities. You know, go to New York, Chicago, L.A. Back then, by then they were nationwide, and uh, so he challenged Hulk Hogan in all the major markets, and he would beat everyone else. Uh, except for top guys like Randy Savage, Bam Bam Bigelow, who was getting a big push in 1987. You remember going up to the first Survivor Series. A couple others like Junkyard Dog got some wins over him. But he mostly mowed down everybody except the very, very top guy. And uh, that seemed to be when he realized that that was his top run because he had that that time in WWF. And then he went back to Japan uh, and uh, quit wrestling. That was the end of Killer Khan in the ring, really. Uh, and he opened up a series of bars and restaurants which is what he did the rest of his life. And it wasn't just a thing where it was a celebrity restaurant. If you went in, there's photos. It cracks me up. If you go to like the review sites of Killer Khan's restaurant, and you know how they have the little photo section where there's photos of the interior of the restaurant? Mm -hmm. Killer Khan is almost always sitting at the counter operating the cash register. Awesome. It, so if you went in there, he might take your order. He might uh, give you the change from your check and all that stuff. And of course- it's Like when Kingston was at the, uh, the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kawada actually cooks. Yeah. I don't think I don't know yeah. if he cooked, but uh, yeah, that was the thing. So uh, he passed away in his. He had a well, he he passed away on the way to the hospital. He had a heart attack uh, right there in his restaurant, uh, working there in Tokyo. And uh, I'll tell you what, Jeremy, it, it, one of those carpe diem moments. I 
I just didn't get to that on my Tokyo list when I was there. Right. It was right. on it. You know, Bull Nakano closed her bar like six months before I went to Japan. I should have gone to Killer Khan's restaurant and met Killer Khan. I didn't get to do it. So next time I'm in Japan, I am getting some ramen from Toshiaki Kawada, uh, whether I get to meet him or not. But yes, I'm doing you it. should. <laughs> yeah. So there you have it. So there's a little bit about Killer Khan, somebody who uh, kind of in the right place at the right time, but always a, a really good big man, uh, an exciting big guy worker who could wrestle and then ended up in the right place at the right time. One of the legendary feuds in that era of wrestling and then a big star in Japan on the way back. So uh, Ozawa passed away uh, just a few weeks ago. So uh, worth mentioning and a big part of New Japan history there. Yeah, I didn't know much about him. And so I was like, the floor is yours to pass on the gospel of the Killer Khan. And I'm glad you did because, you know, this is the lineage of what New Japan is built off of. And yeah. it helped me become more educated moving forward. Yeah. Hey, Shark said, yeah, pretty interesting career. Absolutely. The man saw the world. The man absolutely saw the world and was a main event star just about everywhere he went from 1981 on. All right. I, yeah. So Anything else for us this weekend? Anything no, else for I, us? We have the New Beginning show on Saturday and then the two Cork and Hall shows. We'll be talking about those. And, of course, as the tour continues, we'll discuss that and its development. So when you come back here next week, we will cover New Beginning in Nagoya. That'll be the most important thing. The Cork and Hall shows. And we'll look forward from there as all these storylines, feuds, and uh, twists and turns and contract situations become a little bit more clear moving forward. We'll be here every single week to tell you all about them. I got one more little Easter egg for you, Stephen. Absolutely. We celebrated your birthday before you left. And I wanted to let <laughs> you know that my wife was yes. very kind. And she uh, she set up a birthday dinner for us. That was the oh, cool. Wild Card Weekend. Got my friend Brian and Alicia, John LaRocca and his wife, yeah. Miguel and Denise. We got Garrett, my lovely wife, Savannah, and then Dave Melcher and Mita. So, you know. That's brilliant. That's I very brilliant. shout out my wife for putting that together. Birthdays I... are not always my favorite thing, but she <laughs> managed to make it really memorable. And oh, I good. wanted to share that with people who managed to stick around for an entire one hour and 50 minutes for us. The USBA guys, thank you to everyone who attended and watched Battle of the Value on pay-per-view. New Japan appreciates your support. Jeremy, it was great to meet you, too. Yes, Great to meet you, too, Esteban. I got a question. John LaRocca's wife is the one that does Jeff Cobb's hair, right? And my wife's hair as well. Oh, see, that's a, she, she's very good. If you're in that area, that's the person to go to, right? I mean, you can't get uh, much better. Hair by Katrina. Hair, hair by, by Katrina. Katrina. <laughs> she takes care of Jeff Cobb. She can certainly take care of your stuff. Yeah. I, I still have loyalty to my hairstylist for the last 10 years over a couple towns over, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I need a visit pretty soon. <laughs> there you go. Should we wrap this one up, sir? Do it. Take a call, buddy. For Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate your time. And next week, we'll be back with more. So we will talk to you again very soon. <laughs>